Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. And um, all right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. Thank you for joining us today. If it's your first time with us, my name is Landon, and I uh, get to be one of the team members here with Restoration. And I would tell you somewhere to turn in the scriptures, but in this series, I have a habit. I guess we'll see if it's good or bad of like reading a lot of the scriptures. So I don't know where to tell you to turn. We'll read a fair amount. I'm having a ton of fun uh, searching the scriptures, studying, and like analyzing, getting to know Jesus in a different way through this, this lens and this series of, of looking at what it means to actually uh, be loved by Jesus. I was uh, growing up, well, I still love sports. It's like almost all I think about often, too much. And uh, I played hockey growing up, and there was this time we had a practice at the, the rink, and our normal coach was not there. Um, this, this kid's dad, who had never coached, was the coach for the day. And so in the middle of a practice, this fight breaks out. We're probably like 14 years old or something like that, between Joey and JT. And Joey just annihilates JT in this fight. As we all watch, he's on top just throwing haymakers. And so the coach intervenes in this fight, as you would expect after it goes on for, for just a minute. He separates the two of them. Everybody's watching because the coach in this moment is in the position of authority. What he says should go, what he calls us to do, the vision he casts should happen. And so he separates the fight. We're all watching to see what happens next. And in essence, you go like, yeah, he needed to protect JT at that moment. What I haven't yet shared is that the coach for that day was JT's dad. (laughs) So then what happens next, after JT's dad pulls Joey off of JT, and everybody's watching, they separate, JT's dad looks at JT and goes, JT, go get him now. And we all looked like, oh, that's crazy. (laughs) To which Joey said, yes, JT, come get me now. And JT just stared. And it was one of the most awkward things I've ever seen in my life. Because what actually happened in that moment was though JT's dad should have been the authority making wise choices and decisions, in theory, The reality was that Joey was an authority. When Joey spoke, everybody listened. When Joey spoke, JT knew what he was going to do and what he was not going to do, no matter what his dad, who was in a place of positional authority, said, because his dad did not know best in that moment. I'll never forget that. That was a very unique experience. Today we're going to talk about authority, specifically, obviously, the authority of Jesus, or perhaps the lack thereof. Where does Jesus actually have authority? Where does he not have authority? Where does he have theoretical authority in our lives? Or maybe a a, a type of authority in a place? Or is it real, like the song that that we just sang? Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter four. I wanna read a first example of this. 
Luke chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. Right out of the gate, that Sabbath part is key. They were astonished at his teaching. Think about that. Because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they kept saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. When was the last time that you were amazed by Jesus? It's an interesting question. When was the last time that you were amazed by Jesus? That should be happening. And I don't put that on as a pressure as much as a, maybe we need to give him more access in our lives. Maybe we need to listen differently because the authority of Jesus does amazing things. This example is maybe like Jesus 101. It's kind of like blah, 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 boring. Of course, Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. We know that. That makes sense. But it's beyond that. Let's, let's look at a, a different example in John chapter 5. If you want to flip a few pages forward in your Bible, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which is five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water, because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who had got in after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Listen to these two words, get up. This is a man who can't get into the pool, no matter how many times he's wanted to, to be healed over a period of 38 years. That's a long time. And here comes Jesus, and he speaks these just two words with authority. Get up. Can you imagine not knowing who Jesus was, which we find out in just a moment. He didn't know who Jesus was. you got to be like, really? I've been here for 38 years. I just told you I can't get into the pool myself. There's nobody to put me there. The, the reason I'm here is because I would like to go into the pool so I could get better. But in case you haven't noticed or listened, I can't get into the pool by myself. And here you are, and you're telling me to get up. How insulting. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly. The man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. How shocking would that authority, that command, the voice of Jesus have been 
after 38 years of waiting and praying and hoping and I'm sure all kinds of, of misery along the way. When Jesus speaks, Jesus speaks with authority, certainly in the spiritual realm over spirits, powers and dominions, also over the human body. We see that again and again. Let's continue to read in, in verse 10. Now that day was the Sabbath, back to this theme. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mats. He replied, the man who made me well told me pick up your mat and walk. Who was this man who told you pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Think about this for just a second. You have these religious leaders, people in a place of positional authority because of their attachment, supposed to be representatives and guides leading people to God, who in this moment are so concerned with clinging to their power and influence that they're mad at this man for walking with his mat after not walking for 38 years because he's breaking the extra rules that they created to give themselves more power instead of the heart of the law that God had provided around Sabbath, which was good. Instead of celebrating with a man who had not walked for 38 years, 38 years. They ridicule him because he was healed and was walking with his mat. That is an example of just truly awful authority in the realm of religion. Also, no healings were supposed to happen on the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath, Jesus spoke with authority. Today is really no different than that day. There's still ample amounts of awful religious authority. And not just religion, politics, religion, really any topic you can think of, especially as social media explodes and access to content. We're overwhelmed with an unbelievable amount of content all the time. And with the additional kind of just overflowing, rushing waterfall of content, there's all these experts popping up like little gophers in every industry there possibly is. And they pop their little head up and they speak whatever they want to and then they leave a pile of junk in your yard and then they disappear. And they might pop up again, they might not. You don't know how long their influence lasts in every area, on the human body, on government, on politics, certainly on religion, church, health, relationships, marriage, sexuality, gender, like there's all kinds of so-called experts proclaiming to be authorities in all kinds of areas. It's insane to listen to all of the voices telling you what is good, what is bad, what is helpful, what is harmful. Some of them might be good authorities. Some of them are awful authorities. Some of them are maybe in between. Bad authority certainly exists, though. I want to put up a list of different types of bad authority. The first is just plain evil authority. Satan, demonic spirits, evil world leaders. Those are realities in our world of evil authorities. Next on the list, abusive authority. 
It could be dictators, could be fathers, could be mothers, pastors, spouses, bosses, coaches, government officials. Obviously, I'm not saying those people are all evil or abusive, but that does happen. People in this room have experienced people in the positions on that screen having abusive uh, authority. Next is powerless authority is a really bad type of authority. This is someone in a place of positional authority where they should be protecting and guiding and looking out for others, but though they're in the position of authority, they're actually powerless to love and do anything for the person that they're called to protect. There's ignorant authority. We have a lot of that these days. Someone teaching and guiding out of a place of ignorance instead of expertise and experience. Deceiving and manipulative authorities who cast visions and and tell stories, but those visions and stories are always designed and created to promote self of the leader or authority. Then there's temporary authority, authorities that have a future end date, and so there's not that much they can do because the power, the influence uh, will come to a conclusion of sorts at some point. All kinds of different influence can come from these uh, authorities. The script of a a doctor not being thorough could lead to to heart failure. Or a surgeon making a mistake could have lifelong implications. The voice of culture screams gender is fluid. And so kindergartners are pressured into making decisions that biologically and intellectually they could never comprehend. And that's cast as the norm and anything outside of that is considered culturally to be abusive. It's a confusing world with authority. I read an article this week that that said that Gen uh, Y and Z need to make 125,000 plus annually to feel like, keyword, to feel like they've made it. They need to make 125,000 annually to feel like they've made it. Now, inflation, all kinds of things play into that, but think about that for a second. There are voices pumping into the hearts of multiple generations that have created a feeling that that's the case. Not like a want, but like they don't feel successful until that is a reality. That's an authority of culture speaking into generations. Sometimes it's simpler, smaller failures. We're all very familiar with uh, candidates making promises everybody knows can't be uh, fulfilled. A loved one looking another loved one in the eyes saying everything's gonna be okay, knowing that that's not the case. Or a commander with limited intel having to make very crucial decisions that impact lives and people having to listen. Authority comes with challenges. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. There's all kinds of varying ways it plays out. Let's contrast that a little bit more, though, with the authority of Jesus. Turn to to John chapter 21. This one's different. 
John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus has already given up his life and rose from the grave. His disciples haven't seen him much. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. That's important. Watch how he shows them, how he demonstrates that it is, in fact, Jesus. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That's key. They caught nothing that night. The whole night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. This is key. Not by his voice, not by his appearance. They did not look and see or look and listen and go like, oh, hey, there's Jesus again. They don't know it's him. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore and he called out, men, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered, which I'm imagining they were just really thrilled to have this conversation with this guy on the shore pointing out their failure. And after fishing all night, casting their nets out, this random guy on the shore that they do not know goes, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and then you'll find some. And so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Recognize that for a second. Verse 1 started with uh, this. He revealed himself in this way. They did not recognize him by his body, by his voice, by his appearance. They recognized him because of his authority and success. The results that came with Jesus. It was when something that was too good to be true became a reality that they went like, oh, the only explanation for this is Jesus because no one else has authority in nature over something like this where we fish all night and get nothing. And then he says, oh, just try one more time on the other side. And more fish than they've ever caught is the reality. We shouldn't necessarily feel a need I think this is maybe a uh, common Christian Jesus-following reaction where we just want to plug our ears and go, okay, we're not going to listen to, we're not going to hear. We're going to block out the noise of all these other authorities in our world. And I don't think we see that Jesus did that. In fact, I think he took in the messaging. He was very aware of. He discussed what he heard from other authorities all the time. We shouldn't try to hide from those or... Block it out, I don't believe. I don't think Jesus gives us that model. But there's a difference, like we talked about last week, in hearing and listening. While we should hear all of the different, maybe not all, but we should be aware of the different authorities and influences speaking to us constantly and culturally in our culture, not be ignorant of it, that's different than listening to them. While we should hear them, the one we should listen to is Jesus, because Jesus is the only voice with complete authority in all of life. I think this is a way we could summarize it. The authority of Jesus trumps all other authorities, good or bad, in all areas of life, not merely the spiritual. Every single area where there is authority to be had, Jesus is the authority in every one of those areas. I'm going to read John 1, because it summarizes this well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, 
And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Let me read that again. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of God. All things created through Jesus. Colossians, uh, in the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, he writes something very similar that I think we can learn from as well. Paul writes this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That is real, true, perfect, holistic, complete authority. There's no other authority in our world, in any realm or arena or sphere like the authority of Jesus. There's other authorities, even other good authorities, but none with total and complete control and love like Jesus. I think we often, though, treat Jesus as if, live our lives especially in the everyday stuff of our lives where we spend most of our time, in a way where Jesus has the type of authority that JT's dad did at that practice. Like, yeah, we go, of course. He's the coach. He's in charge. We'll listen to him. He has the positional authority. He has the theoretical authority. He holds that spot. He has that voice. He says, line up and go do it, and you should. But when push comes to shove, when life really hits, we hear his voice and don't listen because we've recognized there's a different, more true authority in our lives, and it's not the voice of Jesus. I think many in the church... Myself, at times for sure, don't live as if Jesus is truly a man of authority. We don't hear his voice as if his power is unmatched. We don't follow as if there's nothing that he's lacking. There's this obvious and, and really beautiful connection between the word authority and the word author. And I think we see this play out in the scriptures. It's what uh, John was communicating in John chapter 1. The word 
was God and was with God. He spoke everything that is good and whole and right and pure and artistic and beautiful into existence. There's this moment where he breathes the breath of life into Adam. And that's the starting point. With his breath, with his word, he speaks and things become. It is so, it is good with the word of God. When we say the word of God, we don't just mean these words on a page. The word, the person of Jesus speaking with a voice of authority unmatched. Jesus is the ultimate authority because Jesus is the ultimate author. The sustainer of all good things. Whatever Jesus authors always comes to pass. Maybe not when we expect or how we expect, but it always comes to pass. I like this idea. Jesus has never authored any maybes. There's never been a maybe that Jesus wrote. Whatever he has said to be true is true. Whatever he's said to be true of the future for you is true of the future for you. It's not a maybe. Whatever he said of the past, our forgiveness is true. It is not a maybe. Maybes do not exist when Jesus is the author and he's the ultimate author. Doctors or people that have expertise and education and experience, they have a, a type of authority in the arena of human bodies yet they still pay a fortune for malpractice insurance. Why? Because they make mistakes. There's no arena in life, no sphere or sector where mistakes will not be made. This is why lawyers and insurance exists. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just a, a reality. Yet not so with Jesus. Jesus has no need for malpractice insurance because Jesus doesn't ever make mistakes. Like, do we recognize that when his voice speaks? We can actually sing that song confidently. Like, where you want me to dive in, I will. When you want me to release, I will. When you want me to go, I will. Whatever it is. Because he doesn't make mistakes. His voice is one of pure, powerful, and loving authority. That's is different. That is why they were amazed at his teaching. Here's a list of, in the context of the actual, true, whole authority of Jesus, what it means to be loved by him. To be loved by Jesus means you are led by the voice that never fails. To be loved by Jesus means your story is being written by the author and the end has already been published and it is a beautiful ending. To be loved by Jesus means we can have clarity and the chaos of a sea of other voices and authorities. Amberly was talking about this uh, age gap and difference between 12 and 13 and whether or not it would be a sacrifice uh, for Abraham to give up his son at 13. I'm not at that point yet. I'm terrified of it, though. I mean, this world is crazy, and I have a lot of daughters. And there's a million books on parenting and influence and ideas, and I'll never be able to, to take it in. I really don't read like any of them. There's a sea of voices screaming out to you, 
with some real, some fake, some intentionally manipulative or abusive, some just ignorant influence and teaching and authority. And it can be dizzying, truly, to go, which voice do we listen to? But when we hear the voice of Jesus, we can know that voice is the one always worth listening to. To be loved by Jesus means while you walk through the valley of death, you can know that he is the authority there too, and he will see you through. And we will go through those seasons. But he's there, he's speaking, and he's still in charge. Lastly, to be loved by Jesus means you can be confident that his commands always end in success. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't need malpractice insurance. He does not author maybes. He's just always right and always good and always loving and always perfect. And most often he doesn't work in our timing. So it can be confusing. I want to look at one last text that I think just summarizes this, this well. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If I can figure out where Mark is. <laughs> On that day, when evening had come, Jesus told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat, and other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Does life ever feel that way? Like it is a mess falling apart. Your life is a boat, and there's holes in it. The water is crashing over, and you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You say you love me, you say you care, you say you hear and listen and you're in control and it does not seem like it in this moment. That's what the disciples are going through. So they wake him up and say, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? How, how incredibly gracious of our God to write things like this into the scriptures for us because we all go through the same thing. Like I've said that many times. Do you not care about what is going on in my life, God? And we get this unbelievable example. He gets up. Look at how casual this is. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea. Like, before we get to what he said, think about that sentence. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea. Like a crazy man talking to the waves. That's not normal. Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Think about that. They are freaking out, going, God, why don't you do anything? And he just like wipes the sleepiness off his eyes, looks at the water and goes, quiet, be still. This is insane. And you'd think at this point, their fears are over. Then he said to them, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And now they're terrified and ask one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. That is a different voice of authority than any other voice that has ever come or ever will in our world. I like what Tim Keller has to say about this. He says this, Jesus woke up and two amazing things happened. The first was his words themselves, a command of utter simplicity. He didn't brace himself, roll up his sleeves and raise a wand. There were no incantations. He said, quiet, 
be still. That's it. To a hurricane, Jesus simply says, quiet, be still. I find that encouraging. No matter what is going on in life, my God can speak three words and cause it all to cease. He can say, Lazarus, get up, and a dead man who stinks from the stench of death will walk. Like, these aren't made-up stories. If those are made-up made stories to you, then Jesus, like, I don't know what you're doing here. This is a waste of time, honestly. Like, this is who we believe Jesus to be, this voice of authority. Tim Keller says a couple other things that I think are key here. He says this, if I go to Jesus, he's not under my control either, as opposed to nature. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a way that makes sense to me. But if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through things you cannot understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and his love. Nature is indifferent to you, but Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. If the disciples had really known that Jesus loved them, if they had really understood that he is both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. I think sometimes we recognize that Jesus is loving. Sometimes, or maybe other times, we recognize that Jesus is powerful. We often struggle to marry the two. And that's where his voice of authority is unlike any other. One last quote here that is meaningful. If they had little reason to panic during the storm, they certainly had no reason to be afraid after it had died down. But Mark writes, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Why were they more terrified in the calm than they were in the storm? Because Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They could not control it. Jesus had infinitely more power, so they had even less control over him. But there's a huge difference. A storm doesn't love you. That is powerful. And Jesus is indeed a storm of power and might and authority that knows you and loves you perfectly. And I hope that that's a picture a helpful picture, a meaningful picture that can influence how you hear his voice and the everyday stuff of your life because he's an authority, he's an author unlike any other. That's who we are loved by. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that whatever you speak comes to be, that whatever you've written and authored will just happen. And so in the midst of peace or confusion, in the midst of unknown, of beautiful, of broken, of whatever life has for us, we just look to you. In the midst of all kinds of, of voices speaking, we desire to listen to yours. Help us to do that. Thank you for your power we thank you for your authority. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope this teaching was both encouraging and also challenging, um, helping us to just continue to grow in both our trust for Jesus and learning 
what it means to practice His way. If you'd like to partner with us, first is prayer. I mean, we deeply value the people of God joining us in prayer as we seek His kingdom and hunger for wisdom on how to best lead in the context that Jesus has called us. Um, so if you could be praying for us, that would be massive. The second is serving. If you are looking for a church family um, to plug into, we would love to connect with you. And the third uh, is through giving. Jesus has been so generous in providing a wonderful space in downtown Prescott, Arizona um, to really be a light for this city and to love its people well. And if you call Restoration Church home again or um, just would like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to restorationaz.org and click the giving tab in the menu options there. So thanks again. And in closing, I just want to remind us, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.